was actually at another house, and then when I was two years old, I was on Searle, on 244 Searle. And then um, grade two, we moved to 50 Blue Forest Drive. I lived, I lived here on Stansted Drive, just off of Garfield uh, Court. That's what it sounded like Sunday at the opening of the Bathurst Manor exhibit by the Ontario Jewish Archives. As childhood friends Andrea Lipstein and Gail Sokolovsky stood before a full-sized map of the iconic suburb in Toronto and tried to find the homes where they had each grown up. The friends are now in their 60s. They were raised in the manor, as it's called. The neighbourhood was developed on farmland on the northern outskirts of the city starting in 1954. Bathurst Manor runs between Bathurst and Dufferin Avenue in the east and west borders and then Finch to the north and Shepherd to the south. It was so remote from the crowded Jewish neighborhoods around Kensington Market that bus service was limited, mail delivery was limited too, but during the post-war years the area became home to thousands of Jewish families, including many Holocaust survivors, and probably 75% or more of the residents were Jewish. Single-family homes sold for less than $25,000. And there was green space and public schools like Cedar Grove and Mackenzie. And synagogues were built like Beth Emmeth and Beth Jacob. The North Toronto Y opened there too. The manor has produced several famous Canadian celebrities, including fashion journalist Jeannie Becker and Globe and Mail columnist and author Marsha Lederman. Lederman came back home from Vancouver, where she now lives, to speak at the launch and to revisit the sites which fueled her career and the chapters of a recent Holocaust book. It was basically a shtetl. It was a village of immigrants, mostly Jews when I was growing up, but also Italians and Portuguese people and so many, you know, first-generation Canadians. And it was a whole world. And I felt so safe there and... I'm not going to say happy because I wasn't necessarily a happy child, but it was such a great place to start life. It was also really boring at times, and I think because it was so boring, I escaped into books and writing. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, May the 29th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. During the pandemic, the Ontario Jewish Archives started collecting photos and home movies and even real estate deeds from some former Bathurst Mannerites. I think that's what you can call them. And even from some people who still live there. Now, I didn't grow up in Toronto. So to help me understand what Bathurst Manor was, I talked to some of the visitors about their Bathurst Manor stories, starting with Joyce Steele. My stepfather had the Shell Station in the manor with Morris. They were partners. And I grew up going into the manor all the time. All my cousins lived in the manor. And I was familiar with it. And then when we had children, I grew up, we got married, I had children. We moved into the manor in 81 on Blue Forest. We had a lovely house and we stayed there until the kids moved out and the house was too big. So what does being in the Bathurst Manor mean to people who like, I'm from Montreal, I've never heard about it, I didn't grow up here. What's so unique about it? Uh, It has a great history. For Jewish people, it was a wealth of information and a community. There were the synagogues, there was shopping and the 
the Sunnybrook store had all the groceries we needed. Um, and, and we went to school with the kids who lived there. And the high school on the Jewish holidays closed. All the schools in the area because it was so, so Jewish in the area. And uh, it was beautiful. It was really a nice place to be. Friendly. Uh, we could get everything we needed in the shopping mall. And Would you say it was like a Jewish ghetto in a way? Yes, I would. In a good way, though? In a very good way. Did you also have non-Jewish friends, too, at school? Of course. Gail Sokolovsky's grandfather was one of the builders who developed the farmland and erected the house she lived in from the time she was in elementary school until she got married and where she met one of her closest friends, Andrea Lipstein. And I lived in a triplex. And my grandfather built the triplex. It was one half that he still owned, and we lived on the top floor. And were they Holocaust survivors, too? Uh, no, they weren't, actually. They came before the Holocaust, before World War II. And why did they live here? What was the reason that your family moved here? Because he built here. Why? Well, they all left Europe in the very early days, and, and they uh, lived in different places, uh, not in the manor. My grandparents lived at Bathurst and Lawrence. And then they, my, my grandfather was a builder in the manor days. Uh, with many other people who also were building at the time. And he built the triplexes on my street and also on Garthdale Court, some. And he also built a few houses in different parts of Bathurst Manor. What was his name? His name was Robert Weinstein. Okay. Yeah. And so how long did you live in Bathurst Manor? I was living there since 10 years old till I got married at 22. And what schools did you go to? I went to, the, to Cedar Grove Public School. I went to Dufferin Heights Junior High and Mackenzie High School. Did you have any particular, um, any bad experiences at all? We didn't have any trouble like that. The, everybody was uh, always very friendly. I never had any, um, I, did, I was never, always felt safe. I, I never felt uh, that I was uncomfortable in the neighborhood. So it was, it was just a great place to be. What's the secret spot that everybody who's from Bathurst Manor knows? Like the best, be, I don't know, restaurant or best hideout? It would be the park. Which one? The park at Wilmington and Overbrook. The park. Yeah. So what's there now? Oh, my God. The park is oh, still, the park is still the park there. Is still there. Across the, the, what's it called? It's not there. The oh, plaza. The plaza. Everybody, oh, so my that God. Was a, that was a hub area, Everyone's those two been, spots. Tell me about the plaza. I'm going to tell you about the uh, plaza. The bank got robbed, and then there was a murder. Right. But oh, there also he was, a was World War veteran, and then yeah. But there was also the uh, the candy store. What's oh, the yeah. name of the candy, candy store? store. Oh, God, I can't remember. I You're asking. I can't remember. Other people might remember, yeah, but the candy. So store. this is Overbrook Plaza. Yeah, but everyone remembered that Dominion, Dominion, the the fifty cents, the fifty cents hot dogs, or the or sorry, twenty five cents yeah. hot dogs, fifty cents hamburgers. That was like a grocery store. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. It was Dominion. And it was all over Brooklyn. That was Dominion. It was always because of the beef, the beef, the beef, the beef. (laughs) So, yeah, so that was was the the neighborhood grocery store that everybody went to. Did they have kosher food? Not that I remember. Kosher food did we have? No. It's the park and the plaza. That's the big hub. And were you allowed to hang out there? I wasn't allowed to hang out like at our like local. Yeah, we would be hanging out. In the park, and really, the park. it was the park. If you anything in the park, because they would play baseball there. There were all sorts of things. It was a meeting place. If you wanted to meet your friends, you'd meet them at the park. 
So the summer always had kids in there. Yeah. Former CJN reporter Francis Kraft is also a product of the manor. I grew up on Cyril. And how many years did you live here? From the time I was one until I got married at 21. And what is the Bathurst Manor story? Why is it so unique for people who aren't from Toronto? It's hard to explain for people who aren't from Toronto. I think it was unique in a lot of ways because it was maybe 90% Jewish. I didn't know that Jews were a minority when I went to elementary school. And um, the schools basically shut down on Jewish holidays. We said the Lord's Prayer, all these Jewish kids. I didn't even know it was a Christian prayer. I thought it was a school prayer. And that was fine. And I went to Hebrew school five days a week at Beth Emmeth. Right after regular class. That's heavy. Yeah. And I remember the plaza. That was, it was like, I guess, what the town square used to be in, you know, other cities and other countries in olden times. People would gather there and we would stop there before Hebrew school and get candies and hide them in our desks. And one thing that came up when Marsha was talking was how safe the neighborhood was. And I remember in the 60s, people used to leave their babies in carriages outside the bakery and they'd go in to get, you know, donuts or bread. I remember the chocolate donuts at Louis Bakery. And that was in the plaza. Was it called Sunnybrook Plaza or what was it called? Wilmington Plaza. And there was a park that they talked about. It had a skating rink and a pool, tennis court, playground. And there were always rides once a year at the plaza. And it was, it was a good neighborhood to grow up in. Um, on my street, a lot of the backyards didn't have fences. And we used to play in the backyards, play hide-and-seek, and just go back and forth between the houses. And Were your parents I, survivors? No. So no. you were Canadian-born? Yeah. Actually, on our street, on our block, most of the parents were Canadian-born. And most of the moms were stay-at-home moms. I remember them sitting on the porch when we were playing on the driveway. This is a specific... There's a, t- a difference between this neighborhood and, you know, others in Toronto. Like Kensington Market was mostly Jewish area, right? Palmerston, Markham Road, all that stuff. And how different was it from this? I think it was... I think of Kensington Market as being earlier. My parents moved into their house in 1957, and... It was about a year and a half old, so I think that's when the area was built. And there were a lot of houses that looked the same, if you've seen the exhibit. We had a lot of houses on the street that looked the same. We had a neighbor turn into our driveway one night because he thought it was his house. And they were all mirror images of each other, with um, the three-bedroom houses with the front doors facing, and on the other side, the kitchen windows facing. So what's your connection to Bathurst Manor, Saul Hermelin? I had a one-hour photo lab in the plaza. What was the name? Lasting Impressions One-Hour Photo. A processed film, printed pictures, sold frames, took passport pictures, and watched families grow up. Did you live in Bathurst Manor? No. So you operated how many years this store? About eight years. Special about Bathurst Manor for somebody that's never grown up compared to like Kensington Market, where you know your your roots were. It was like a shtetl. People spoke Yiddish. I loved it. People would come in. Immigrants from Russia used to come 
I sold tickets to Yiddish concerts, Yiddish shows. Uh, so people would come in, buy tickets, talk Yiddish, and I'd practice a little bit because I'd forgotten so much. It was just a pleasure to be there. I loved it. You closed the store. Costco opened up close by, uh, five or ten minutes away. I couldn't compete with the prices. So I ended up getting a job at Costco in the photo lab. I was lucky. Bathurst Manor was the backdrop for Marsha Liederman's new Holocaust memoir called Kiss the Red Stairs as the daughter of Holocaust survivors, and we did an episode about it last fall. She returned from Vancouver this weekend to revisit her childhood home and to appear at the exhibit launch. She wasn't prepared for the flood of memories her visit unlocked. Oh my gosh, it is... It was, it is still an amazing place. I grew up there. I was born there. I mean, I was born at Mount Sinai, but then from, you know, I lived my whole life there. And on Saturday, I drove with my sister. We got to our childhood house at 26 Cavati, and the owner was sitting on the porch on the veranda and we marched up and she said come on in I explained who I was that I grew up in that house and she let us in and I walked in and I saw the cabinets that my parents installed when they renovated the kitchen same cabinets and I was so moved by the fact that my mother had touched those candles and those drawers and the sink the taps she had made all those meals in that room and touched everything and I was I I burst into tears and the woman who owns the house gave me a big hug the curator of the exhibit Faye Bloom grew up in the manor too and her family story is prominently displayed Uh, in the February 2020 we launched with a focus group and in that group, it was uh, nine people participating, and there was literal magic that happened in the room where we started hearing how people shared stories, um, whether they stole candy from the cigar store or spoke about farms and farm animals being brought home. <laughs> so it really spoke to, this, um, to the idea that there was a pioneering spirit for the original families that first moved into the area, it really was so remote with so few services. And they are the, our storytellers that, that help, um, help us understand that part of the rationale, this is like part of the line of questioning we had for people is, like, why did your family move here? And often it was like, because so-and-so was moving there, like a close relative or good friends. And for young married couples, it was affordable housing, but it came at a price because one-car families were typical of the era. There were no shops, no infrastructure. The bus stopped at Shepherd. And so it, it was a bit hard going, like mail wasn't delivered to your door, but what you got in return was uh, a connected neighborhood of families similar to yours, beautiful, spacious new homes. Even the bungalows were spacious. And you can tell that from the photographic evidence where you see 
holiday celebrations with so many people like over the years able to fill what looked like modest bungalows but in that era it was paradise and people spoke about no fences between the homes and uh, kids running and just had freedom like when the city lights went on they knew it was time to go home and yeah and then kind of a friends for life because everyone knew everyone and there was a feeling of security safety and this concept that everyone was Jewish. Tell me your Bathurst Manor story. Okay, so my, my Bathurst Manor story, um, I, I would fit into like the daughter of survivors story. Both my parents came as refugees separately in 1948. They met at the Y at a dance and married this in... Way. Yeah, like down the South Y. And then they... Um, they, they first lived with other relatives, and then they uh, purchased a semi um, on Belvedere. And then in 1963, my, my mom had grand ambitions of not having to rent and have tenants in the house. And so she, um, she promised my dad when they looked at the house in Bathurst Manor, because people were moving there, she had a a, a brother that was moving there so so there were a couple brothers actually and so she was she was keen and she promised my dad that she would have a tenant because the homes were designed to help support payments for the mortgage but she never got one <laughs> and that's what jewish canada sounds like for this episode of the cjn daily sponsored by metropia integrity community quality and customer care Today's listener shout-out goes to Dori Eckstein. She also lived in the manor for a few years in an apartment with her Holocaust survivor parents. If you have a Bathurst Manor story or you want to see the exhibition, it's showcasing a series of four large display panels. They're open for viewing all summer at the Prosserman JCC, and you'll see photos of the Shell gas station and the now-defunct Bathurst Manor Plaza and the Steinbergs at Shepherd Plaza with its kosher meat market. You can write to me with your Bathurst Manor story, and I'll pass it on to the archives. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. We'll be back tomorrow.